Welcome to another edition of the Lockdown Podcast. I'm George Sedano, your host. If you're watching this on the ESPN LA YouTube, make sure you smash the like button. And of course, obviously subscribe to the ESPN LA YouTube page. If you want the audio accompaniment because you can't watch this whole thing, then feel free to go to the Sedano and Cap podcast feed. It will be there as a separate link wherever you find your podcast. So Mike Trudell, everyone's favorite sideline reporter, and of course, host on Spectrum Sports as well. He's the sideline reporter for your Los Angeles Lakers, joins me here. So, Trudell, I want to talk to you, obviously, about the Lakers for an extended period of time, but I do want to go around the league a little bit with you because I feel like uh, you are as informed a person as there is in the league uh, because you see all these teams up close pretty much every you know on a given night. So let's tackle some of that stuff in a moment. But let's start with the Lakers, okay? As of this taping, you and I are taping on the night – uh, the last game of the regular season for the Lakers and Pelicans. It will be on ESPN on Wednesday. Uh, it's not that I didn't want to dress up for you, but I'll be uh, doing that game, as will you, for Spectrum Sports. Um, but let's just kind of get your overall thoughts on how the Lakers did at the deadline and how you see the fit with some of these guys that they've added to this roster and, of course, replacing the guys that were here previously. Oh, that's right. So we're sitting side by side tonight once again, huh, George? Yes, sir. There we go. Um, well, look, if if I'm not your favorite silent reporter, then I hope that it's uh, George Sedano, you know, because uh, you're my favorite silent reporter. Now, I would say you have to kind of zoom back or zoom out and try to look at big picture, not just w- with what the Lakers did at the deadline, but essentially looking back to when they acquired Anthony Davis, because when they did and they had to send out, of course, a lot of really good young players and all of the picks to get him. But it was a immediate fit with LeBron James, Anthony Davis, LeBron James. You know about the immediate fit, uh, of course, having covered the Heat. And even if that team took a little bit of time to get going, and I get that they were at 500 for a while, like they still made the finals the first year. And then they won the next two titles, right? So it's that that was an instant fit, even if LeBron and D-Wade needed a little bit of time to get going and they had to figure out some other things. So I, I, this, this kind of belies the point, and it's going to be a longer answer if I get too much into that. But the build around them was these two-way players that could stay on the floor defensively that could hit at least enough three-pointers, even if not a particularly good three-pointing team, uh, shooting team. But they put so much pressure on the rim. And then LeBron and AD, even when they went small, could both protect the rim. So that was a model that worked. Uh, The Lakers, of course, won the title in the bubble. Uh, Anthony Davis gets injured the year after in that truncated offseason. I call it the bubble tax. The whole team basically ends up getting hurt after they had a month off before from the the uh, beginning of October until the start of preseason the next year. And from that point on, after the end of that season, that was, of course, when they made the Russell Westbrook trade. And I think that model uh, just ended up clearly not working as well or just not working overall. And it could it's not necessarily, George, that it's the three star model, uh, because I think the right third star, maybe one that's a better fit around LeBron and AD could work. But when that happens, it so limits what you can do building the rest of the roster. Uh, and I thought that's ultimately what what happened. And by having this trade at the deadline for Westbrook going out on um, three players coming in, in addition to the other moves where you bring Rui Hachimura in, you bring Mo Bamba in, um, and even Devon Reed, like those things are uh, are sort of acknowledging, all right, let's get back to the type of roster um, that better complements LeBron James and Anthony Davis. And even if you want to still include a possibility of getting a third star, at least gives and provides some more salary ballast, uh, ballast and just the types of players that could go out and have value somewhere else. 
So that's that's again that's the way zoomed out version. But I think it's why if you look at in the Lakers are twenty six and thirty two. Sure, part of that's because Anthony Davis got hurt again. Uh, five and a half weeks. If he were to have played that those games, would they have been closer to five hundred or above it? Um, I would certainly think so. But that was an issue the previous couple of years as well. And, and so here they are. They got a chance because of the playing format to still make some kind of a run. Um, but they're, it's it's going to be swimming upstream and climbing uphill and whatever whatever metaphor you want to use, George. I love the uh, additions because clearly, as LeBron pointed out, the first game of the season, they didn't have lasers on this team. And now they've got some lasers. They've got two guys in the top 12 when they acquired them in regards to three-pointers made in D'Angelo Russell and Malik Beasley. Now, Malik has had a little bit of a slow start here, obviously, uh, from three particularly, but I'm not worried about either of those guys getting going. I, I love the fit. I actually like D'Angelo Russell and Anthony Davis, who seem to already have been building a connection. I, I was watching them on the sideline in timeouts, uh, him, AD, and LeBron talking about, like, like literally talking plays out, right? Like, they were, I believe LeBron actually grabbed the whiteboard at one point and was like, helping like drawing up plays for them uh, because these guys had just gotten there. Basically they'd only been there for one previous game and they couldn't play, but I like Russell because he's an elite pick and roll player on offense. He's become an incredible spot up shooter. Uh, he's certainly a completely different player than he was when he was 19 and 20 the first time around. Although I did find it funny when I asked him, how did it feel to kind of be back in a Laker uniform? He said, quote, weird as hell, uh, but laughed, you know, laughed it off because it was, it is funny, right? That he's back. But I, I love that fit. I love the Beasley fit. To me, though, Jared Vanderbilt, I, I mean, this is a guy that I think could fit on anybody's team, to be honest with you. And when you couple the fact that he makes like four and change or whatever uh, this year and next year or whatever it is, my God, like that's the type of guy you want on your team. He can defend uh, wings. He can defend up. He can defend down a little bit. Uh, he's an excellent passer, uh, which is something that I didn't know until talking to people more about him. You know, the shot is okay. It's not great, but but he does everything else and does all the dirty work. I don't know what to expect from Mo Bamba, personally. There was, you know, some injury stuff. There was some coaches DNP or coaches decision DNPs there in Orlando. But I like the upside potential. And Davon Reed is uh, a guy from the U, you know, so I'll always be, uh, you know, I'll always be biased towards those guys. You know, they'll, he knows how to play his role as a guy deep on the bench. But yeah, I like the moves. Like I, there, there's not one thing I can say about these Laker moves that they made at the deadline specifically that I, that I can speak negatively of. So how do you yeah. feel about the fit though for those guys? And who do you think actually can get some real run? I'm guessing you're going to mention Russell and, and Beasley, but maybe beyond that. No, I mean, you're so you're spot on, I think, with that analysis, George. I know that you actually watch the games uh, and that helps watching how the other teams play. And it's not easy to do that, right? If you're a Laker fan to watch every other team play on League Pass, like that's you and I are paid to do it. So that's one of the things that helps. And I think that the trade deadline itself was very positive for the Lakers. I, I do think that all of the guys that they got in um, have a chance to contribute. The The larger issue and why I was trying to, to, to provide some of the context is that they have 24 games and they're already six games under 500. And to get to the play-in spot, which I think that they will, but they're two and a half games back of Utah. Utah probably going in the other direction. They're going to have to jump OKC and Portland, who still at this point are playing like they want to win. So I, I did the math. If you do the math based on how teams have played to this point in the season. So, for example, a lot of the teams ahead of them are playing at around a 49 or 50 percent win percentage clip. The Lakers, because of also the tiebreaker scenarios, they don't have uh, they, they've lost out a, on a couple of those. 
They got to win about 15 games. If they can get to 15, they should be in the play in. So 15 and nine should be able to do it. Yeah. And, and they'll look and they'll be able to control some of their own destiny. Like they play Minnesota, they play Golden State twice more. Those are both teams ahead of them. They play New Orleans tonight. Uh, this By the time this comes out, I'm sure that game will have already occurred. But like that's the type of game now that the Lakers, if there were any margin for error, that has mostly gone away because of the way that they started the season at two and 10. And that's when you get back to the whole situation with, what they were going to do with Westbrook, because I think that they probably had an idea going into the season um, that it wasn't necessarily the, the best fit, but could you have made the type of trade that they made at the deadline in the off season? I don't think so. I think it would have cost them both picks um, into the future and teams may not have been ready to give up the kind of talent that they got back. And so to build on your point about the talent they got back, this is what Rob Palenka referred to essentially as pre-agency. So these are types of guys that you would want on contracts going to, into next season. And you mentioned Vanderbilt, who is my probably my favorite part of it, especially with what he's valued at. Russell, I think that that all depends on the extension. And if he does sign an extension, what that number is. Is it one year? Is it two years? Like that, that's going to play a factor into this. Who else is available, right? That's going to play a factor. Um, what do they do with Rui Hachimura, who's rights to control now? Beasley is on a team option. But that's the point. Like they've given themselves options now to see how these guys look in real basketball situations. Would it be better if they had a preseason? Yes, they do <laughs> not. Right. They, they have to win these games now. And, and so that's where I think zoom like putting that all into a smaller context about Russell and running screen roll with AD. I think he's also excited to just not have to do everything himself where LeBron's in the game. Now he can be in the corner and then he can attack closeouts from the weak side, or he can be above the break. Like, there's a lot of actions that work that way, I think, with Russell. The question more becomes defensively, how do you piece the right type of rosters together? Um, you know, they send Beverly out. That was his sort of job in that starting lineup. And and how do they figure out if can Michael Beasley give you as much on that end as, say, an Austin Reeves? Probably not as much as Austin, but does the three-point shooting and volume make up for it? Like, these are all questions, George, that, again, you wish you had six preseason games to work out, but they got to figure out right now. So if you had to guess... And, you know, look, because of the injury issues, right, we don't know. Uh, the idea is that the Lakers are hopeful LeBron plays against the Pelicans as we're taping this right before that game. And if he plays, obviously, you know, he's in this he's in this group. What is the top, I don't know, eight or nine guys look like in the rotation, like starting five and then the next three or four? Yeah, man, it's it's one of those things where. Sometimes if you and I are just talking and we're texting about the Lakers and, and we can be like, hey, I, I think they should start this player. I think they should start that player. Or they definitely have to start this player and this player cannot be in the rotation, right? There, there are different types of things. And I think that this one is more of the former where there are a couple of options. It's not super obvious as to which one works best. Uh, the one that I would throw out is kind of like the ideal one in my head would be one I don't know if we'll see a ton. And... Go ahead, buddy. Yeah, my son is wanting to It's go all good. Him. It's all good. This it's, is exactly like, what hey, I this want. This is these days. Yeah. So, so, do you need help? Here you go. Yeah, open the door for the kid. Come on. There you go. <laughs> He's struggling to get out there. He's just trying to play sports. So, if you start um, D'Angelo Russell with Austin Reeves in the backcourt, and then you've got LeBron, Vanderbilt, and AD, that's a lineup that I like a lot. The issue, then, is that you're missing some defense with the second unit if you put AD and Vanderbilt together in the first unit. So you could also stick with like a Troy Brown or a Hachimura if you think Hachimura can shoot enough from the perimeter with the starters. And then you bring Vanderbilt as one of those early guys in off the bench. 
bit of a Swiss Army knife. He can play multiple positions. Um, he then would stagger some more with LeBron. I think he's a, a good kind of guy to keep next to LeBron as long as you have shooting elsewhere, which then would include Michael Beasley. So if that's your plan for the second unit, that's another reason why I might not start Beasley, but I have him out there as the spacer for LeBron and Vanderbilt units. And then you've got Schroeder as kind of the point guard defender and or can can you know operate a secondary screen role if LeBron doesn't want to in that kind of kind of a possession. So that's that's one way to work it. Uh, the other is just to stick with what Darvin Ham's been doing, and that's having Schroeder and Russell start together, Schroeder guarding point guards and just kind of putting pressure on things, then pull him out early and with LeBron still in, add a shooter so that you get some of that spacing. So there, like there are uh, there are options here. I think the odd man out probably ends up being Lonnie Walker the fourth for now, and then Baba's got to come in. And George, you hinted at this. Like he's Baba on paper is great. Like he, he's a former lottery pick. He's seven feet tall. He blocks shots. Um, he's uh, he's super well put together. Great to speak to. Hasn't always had the best NBA motor, but maybe that changes now that he's in. He comes to LA. He's out of this playing time morass in Orlando. He's uh, he's the rest of his future as a player isn't necessarily determined. So maybe you get his kind of best effort, best energy and him with the way that he shoots the three at that height, facing next to AD even, you know, that could be a high, a high ceiling type of a player um, that, and, and if, if not, if he doesn't play that well, then you're fine. You just play Wenyan Gabriel, uh, who I think has been pretty good for the Lakers this year um, as an energy guy. So there are like, there are 10 players that I think are for sure worthy of the minutes it mixing and matching them depends on kind of your preferences. And, and frankly, probably depends on what LeBron to some degree wants to, because he's still the guy that's going to know when they're out there, which ones he wants on the court at the same time, which ones are going to operate the best around him. And, and if I'm a, if I'm a coach, I'm always interested in that information because he's like the super computer on the court. So while we're, we've already mentioned that we're taping this before the Pelicans game. So let's start taking a look at some of these teams that are ahead of the Lakers. And I'd love to kind of get your thoughts on them. The Pelicans obviously, you know, started off incredibly. Uh, even without Zion, they were playing really well. Zion comes back. They, they continue to play really well. And then they started to really deal with a barrage of injuries. Ingram goes down. Uh, Zion obviously goes down. McCollum goes down. They lost 10 in a row at one point. They seem to be kind of finding their footing. Brandon Ingram has been incredible the last four or five games. Uh, comes back uh, to play against his old team. Uh, for those that may know the old Sedano show on ESPN LA, I used to call all these young Lakers Trudell's sons. Uh, you know, he defended them uh, tooth and nail, no matter what. Uh, and they have all flourished. Uh, Trudell can be a GM clearly uh, one day. But um, what do you make of this New Orleans team and what you're seeing at the moment and what you think their potential could be if they do get into this playoff play-in scenario? Well, I, I would like to clarify, first of all, most of the Laker players uh, you you were accurate on in, in, in sort of referring to in that way because the pressure that they were under to come in and perform vis-a-vis um, -vis how, how well they were actually playing at their age in the NBA, that was the principle that I was mostly defending. Uh, so if but if somebody was really struggling, you know, I, I was not I would not he would have to sit in the back of the car. OK, as opposed <laughs> to maybe sitting shotgun. And so, you know, so like there was a difference between so shotgun Josh was rotating, right? If Lonzo had a good game, Lonzo got shotgun. If Brandon had a good game, Brandon had. Shotgun. Well, you know, not, not game by game, just overall. Oh, okay. How good is this player going to be in the league? And and right. So and so that fluctuated. But the Lakers obviously have drafted very well. And, and it's the lottery picks is one thing. 
you know, it's it's a little bit harder to screw up those types of positions there. We're talking about, you know, Ingram and Russell and Julius Randle. I'm more talking about like Kuzma at 27, Hart at 27, or sorry, Hart at 30, Larry Nance Jr. at 27, Zubat at 32, um, they THT at 46, Max Christie most recently, like Jesse Buss and his crew, um, and, and you know, Rob Palenka running the whole thing. That That's one area where the Lakers have really been good. And so that was kind of the principle that I was trying to uphold um, when these guys are viewed in, this, in a certain spotlight. Like at age 19, D'Angelo Russell, what did people want or expect him coming in in year one? But having having now having now said that, flipping to New Orleans. So the first you, you nailed it, like the first time that they were without Zion, they were fine uh, and they were riding this momentum of the big wings and et cetera. Then. Uh, they were three and thirteen the second time after he hurt his hamstring when the Lakers played them. Now that did seem to get the Lakers going. I think part of it it helped that the schedule softened up a little bit. Um, they had Sacramento at home, Atlanta at home, and then Cleveland at home. They they beat the Kings and the Hawks. They lose to Cleveland, uh, and then they went they wind up beating OKC in a close game. Ingram at thirty four. So they have righted the ship some, but I, I fear for them when you have a player like Zion and all the impact that he has. The Lakers have dealt with this a little bit in the last couple of years with AD. Like when that player, when you find out that that player is not going to be back, I just think it's a big mental blow. Uh, and it's harder for them as they look up in the standings and think about A, the position they're in now, but then B, that the teams that are right behind them, Minnesota, Golden State, um, eventually the Lakers, if things go how the Lakers want, you know, that's, that's going to be, I think, tricky for them uh, to, to maintain a certain level of energy and a certain level um, of belief and, and so they, I do think that they're in danger, George, of dropping some um, in the standings with that news that Zion's going to be out for an undetermined amount of time with the hamstring. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see because I do think that Willie Green has done a really good job there. Um, and I love, like, a lot of their the pieces around those three guys. I think, like, Herb Jones, right, is, like, a really good find. Yeah, I like uh, Trey even, Murphy. Yeah, yeah, Trey Murphy, who's going to be in the dunk contest. I had no idea until just today. Uh, you know, they've, they've got some guys sort of, they can play Alvarado is like the perfect, like pest backup point guard, right? Like he just, he can shoot enough. Um, he's really good defender. I mean, he was the ACC defensive player of the year when he was in college. So I, I just, I like the, the, the team around them, but I feel like, like a lot of things, right? The NBA, much like a lot of professional sports has become a battle of attrition, um, what about the Warriors? You just saw them on Saturday. Uh, you know, they're a different team without Steph, even though they were able to kind of hold, uh, you know, serve, I guess, the last time he was out. It's not been as easy this la this particular time now that he's injured. I just feel like something's missing there. And maybe Gary Payton II can help them. And obviously when Steph gets back, that changes. And there'll be some more growth from guys like Kaminga or whatnot. But they just don't feel right to me when I watch them. Yeah, so you just called that game, uh, and I was, uh, I was, in fact, I was gonna say I was on the sideline, but we, it was a natural exclusive, so I was just kind of in the in the corner, able to watch, and then did the pre and post. Yeah, I, while Steph was healthy, I was willing to give them the benefit of the doubt, just because you know he's Steph Curry, he's still incredible, he's still maybe the biggest threat that you can have against a defense in the modern NBA, um, with a healthy LeBron right up there, and sort of Giannis in a different way, Luca and, and Jokic emerging, Embiid. But he, when he went out this second time, it's just like Jordan Poole, I think, tries to approximate some of what Steph does. And on, on given nights, he can. Like, he'll hit seven threes. And he had 38 the other night. 
but he's not nearly, of course, the player that Steph is. And he'll turn the ball over a lot. He'll kind of frustrate his other veteran teammates. And and then you're you're replacing what he does off the bench um, with somebody like you know Ty Jerome or and by the way he's been hurt he just came back just but somebody that's at a that's not able to keep that level of play either uh, and then you mentioned Gary Payton and I think he's a really good player but he hasn't played all year and he's still hurt right now in fact that trade almost got um, almost didn't go through because of his health status so. They are, to me, another team that is in, at risk of falling. Uh, they have, they've lost two of their last three. Uh, they just lost to the Clippers last night. They're now 29 and 29. Uh, and it's just like there's only so far because of this play and format that these teams are going to fall. And I tend to look more at OKC, who's 27 and 29. And it's just hard to think that what, with what they've done over the years, that Sam Presti isn't going to find a way to sit uh, Shea Gilgis-Alexander down like they did last year for a couple of weeks, which would immediately put them into that low, low lottery area. Like they are, if you right now, let's see, if you look at there are one, two, three, including the Lakers. Four, four. Yeah. There are only seven teams below them right now. And the only ones that are out of reach would be Charlotte, Detroit, Houston, and San Antonio. And like, I, I'm one of those people who thinks that you can't just treat your young players. Like the postseason doesn't matter at all. And always kick the can to next year. But is it worth going and playing one play-in game against what's going to be a good team? It's either going to be like Golden State, the Lakers, the Timberwolves, probably maybe the Pelicans. Who knows if any if if the Mavericks or Clippers have an injury, they could fall, right? Like that that to me, I'm guessing that OKC tends to go, want to go towards the bottom. So then it's just really it's the Lakers in Portland if Utah's already falling, and it's all of those teams essentially battling for for like. Um, for three spots uh, down there at the at the eight, nine, ten, and that's kind of what I'm betting on is that Golden State is at least good enough to stay into the play-in mix, and then they'll just they'll kind of give the hey, we'll see. Peyton's back, you know, Steph's healthy, like you don't want to play us type. Right. Thing. Yeah, and I feel like the Lakers have some of that if they can get in there, obviously, because you know if you're Denver or Memphis, the reward of potentially having to play Golden State or the Lakers in this particular iteration of them isn't yeah. necessarily a hell of a reward. Um, as we look at that one through six and we get ready to wrap this up here, um, and thanks again for doing it, you know, how do you view those top six? Uh, you know, I would assume Phoenix is the – I don't know if they're a wild card anymore because uh, – well, I guess Durant's injury and health situation is a bit of a wild card, but the expectation is he'll be back. And I would venture to say that they're the favorite if he's healthy and can be Kevin Durant. But I'm curious to see how you view that top six at the moment. Yeah, I'm a little surprised, George, that more people aren't saying what you just said. I mean, it's Kevin Durant. Like, right. Kevin Durant. You know, it's, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll see how, how Phoenix plays when he gets there. Yeah, I don't know. You know, Denver's, Denver's in the number one seed, like Memphis. I think that, that Kevin Durant joining this team um, that is – like they're not deep in the classic sense of a bunch of guys that you've heard of, but they're deep in terms of guys that'll play hard and play a role. Like Tory Craig is a better player than I think some people realize. And like Josh Akogi, you know, these, these are not, these are got the guys that are playing right now, you know, and with Bridges and, and uh, Cam Johnson going over to Brooklyn. Uh, you add Kevin Durant to that mix and right. you've already got Booker. And, and this is all assuming full health, which Booker has not been healthy this year, but I just don't see the way that, a modern NBA defense specifically doesn't have answers for that team because they're they're perfectly content just drilling mid-range jumpers um, for a full playoff series. Now, whether or not Chris Paul can stay healthy all the way through a finals run, uh, that's always going to be a big question for me. But 
guess what? He's he's going to be in a position now where he has to do the least that he's ever had to do because Durant and Booker can handle so much of the offensive load. And Durant's a great defensive player too. So I I have moved them immediately into the favorite spot um, in, in the West. And I think that I just trust what that team can do. They still have the rim protection, not just with Kevin Durant, but Aiton can stay on the floor defensively against small groups, which a lot of bigs can't. As he's pro- as he's proven, so I, like I've always George heading into the season, you know this. I was on the Phoenix is done. You know they don't have enough. Chris Paul cannot carry this load as a number two guy. Yes, Booker's awesome. Aiden isn't really bought in. Crowder wants out. Like I I I thought that they were going to be slipping as they did into a round like the six seed, and now I think with with KD coming in, that to me is the team that that now has the not just the best chance but also sort of like the most urgency and the most belief in themselves that this is the year that they have to do it. Uh, whereas Memphis kind of still building. I don't buy Sacramento at all. Um, I think they're a, a good offense, but you know, get into a playoff series. I wouldn't pick them to beat almost anybody in the West in the top eight. And, and, you know, I still like Denver, but they've got to show defensively that Jokic can hang, can really hang against the best teams uh, in a seven game series, which of course he struggled to do last year against the Warriors, albeit no Jamal Murray, um, no Porter, but yeah. So Short answer is Phoenix. I'm with you. Um, I think that they have to be considered the favorite because we have to give KD that amount of respect. Yeah. I mean, look, I like Dallas swinging for Kyrie. I just wish that they had more time uh, to your point earlier, like when we were talking about the Lakers, because I do think that Kyrie playing next to Luca, he has similar enough traits minus the athleticism to LeBron that I feel like they could figure that out on offense and Jason Kidd hasn't been shy about saying we're just going to try to outscore people uh, and score 130, 135 points a game. I'd love to see what that looks like. I just don't know if there's enough time. And with the Clippers, look, I like their moves too at the deadline. But, you know, there's always the big question mark. I think Zach Lowe said it best on TV the other day when he said that they feel like a science experiment still in a lot of ways. Yeah. So I, I just – those two teams I feel like have a potential – a pretty big – a pretty high ceiling – but I don't know what their floor is because I, I just don't think one has enough time and the other seems to never have enough time because they don't have enough guys on the floor uh, to, to have enough time. Yeah. So like, I'm, I'm kind of with you again. I mean, Dallas, it's, they can win any series just on offense with the brilliance of Luka Doncic alone. Like Luka alone can win playoff series. That's how good he is. But add Kyrie into that as a second option and just some guys that play hard around them. Uh, but I like, can they win three series with how easy it should be to yeah. score on them? It's hard know. to bet on that. And and yeah. that's where, again, that's where I would have Phoenix over them. That's where I would have Denver. Um, Memphis is Memphis has some of its own stuff to prove. Uh, yeah. By the way, your um your buddy, Evan Cohen, I got a chance to talk to you the other day before I had heard him on the NBA and the first, so I listened to your podcast. The first thing that he said was like, was a, a Kyrie take hard, like court take. Straight, yeah. straight out of the book, just boom. That was the first time. I, and I was like, wow. I love this. It, it's the first like, time I'd ever because I had just spoken to him on the phone. Nicest <laughs> guy ever. And then comes on and just he didn't blast Kyrie necessarily, but he just kind of just put it out there right away. And I tend to I tend to see things that way with what's happened in the last several markets. You know, maybe this will be different this year. Uh, and he's certainly, I think, going to be on best behavior in that context. But um, the, the the talent we next to Luke on offense a lot. I just think defensively they end up coming short against one of these. It's uh, funny because teams. prior to the deadline, I would have said the East is by far the better conference, but clearly the pendulum has swung uh, to the Western Conference again. Uh, and and I didn't know, I didn't expect that to be the case. And I still feel like in the East we're looking at Boston and Milwaukee. We're just on a collision course with those two. Everyone else 
you know, there'll be teams that, you know, will make it competitive in the second round or whatnot, potentially. But I just think those two teams are clear in a way the best two teams. A culture? You're not, you're not, uh, you're not looking not for this a year. culture not, not, Listen, I think, look, here's what I think eventually happens with them. They get to the five, right? They play Cleveland. They beat Cleveland. They're a hard out for Boston or Milwaukee because, you know, you don't want to play them in a series. But Cleveland, you know, Cleveland's, Cleveland's going to be tough for them, though. Nah, uh, nah, no. nah. They have no wing. Um, you know, and I, I, well, they don't have enough experience too. I think in the playoffs, like, I think that Evan Mobley has regressed a tiny bit this year. And I think he's that got, he's, he's picked it up though. He's picked it up the last month. It's it's normal though, of a sophomore slump. Like I'm not worried about him in the least. Like, I think he's going to be an incredible player. And I think for them to win a championship, eventually he needs to be their best player, uh, which maybe happens. We'll see. But my only, my, oh, oh, I was my only slight pushback because you know I'm a call. I, I like the I like Miami in the way they, and I love the way Jimmy yeah. Butler plays. They're he's like a the second round. Player. He's yeah. the best player in that series, but I think that they they uniquely can kind of protect the rim a certain way to make the shots that Bam and Jimmy typically get a little bit tougher. Uh, and and then they can just go. Oh no, I agree. With it's Mitchell not an easy series. I, yeah, I just always we'll side with experience. Yeah, I always side with experience in those particular matchups. You know what I mean? So. Um, so I think it's Miami getting to the second round and them and Philly getting bounced in the second round. And then I do think uh, with Philly, I am curious to see um, what happens with that roster if they if they flame out again in the second round of the playoffs, because I do think that there could be <laughs> some changes there potentially. And again, that's just me recklessly speculating. But yeah, I just think Milwaukee, Boston, um, I still would probably favor Milwaukee or Boston in the finals, uh, regardless of who they play. Maybe Phoenix, if they got there, I would I would reconsider. But I think for the most part, I just think they're the two best teams all year long and, and they continue to be. Yeah, I mean, I'm so in terms of the West, we, we already handicapped it and, and I, I, you know, put my uh, my thought behind Phoenix. But I, the finals, I think those teams are going to be close enough that this it's a cop out answer. But like, like I kind of need to see who's healthiest. Sure. Uh, on paper, yeah. on paper, I think Boston is is still is like the most talented team this year. But Philly added or. Milwaukee adding Crowder is interesting to me. Yeah. Just giving them one more piece of depth, a guy that can kind of replace what PJ Tucker did. And it, it's really difficult to bet against Giannis. So I think that it, if I had to pick right now, I would probably reluctantly um, pick Boston, Milwaukee right behind them. And then, and then, yeah, Phoenix, I think uh, would be the team that they would have to beat when they got there. But so I'm, I'm pretty much with you. If you want super small sample size theater, and I mean, tiniest of tiniest sample sizes, Go look at the uh, Giannis Joe Ingles minutes together. It's like, uh, you know, ridiculous offense, like nearly 120 and like defensive yeah. rating, like 90 something. Like, uh, I, so I, it, it is funny that I picked those two players, but I, I, I do. I just like their roster and the addition of Crowder only helps in that spot. So well, Middleton, Middleton getting healthy. Like he, that's, that's for the sure. thing that sparked, yeah. sparked this 10 game winning streak, you know? For sure. Yeah. And, 11, and once he's healthy, then they're fine. And they've got the, 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 you know, role players and ancillary pieces, I think to make it work. Uh, so I, yeah, I wouldn't bet against them either, but, uh, Mike Trudell, we will be watching you on spectrum sports every single Lakers game night. Thank you so much for joining us. I will see you, uh, after we are done taping this podcast at the arena tonight for Lakers and Pelicans. Uh, this will probably drop Thursday, the day after that. So, uh, if you're listening to that, hopefully you enjoyed our kind of season recap through the all-star break Trudell. I'll see you soon, man. Thanks again. Always a pleasure. Uh, my favorite silent reporter, but you're not just that. Okay. You're much more than that. Play by play guy your host. You do it all. So I'll talk to you soon. A jack of all trades. All right. Thank you for listening and watching the lockdown podcast. We'll talk to you soon.